0: Thank you to Zach and all the leaders. And now if you'll stand with me as we open up God's word to the 23rd Psalm, pastor Bruce is going to continue his series out of the shepherd Psalm today about addressing times where we are hurt. And, uh, you know, it's great to show up, to pick up the kids late at night after they've had this long, long ride and they are just more than enthusiastic. To just tell you all about what happened and just, just share so many things. And if you believe that, then uh no. anyway. Twenty third Psalm this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Lord, that you are good to us, God, that when we follow you, we can put our trust in you. Just open our hearts this morning to hear from your word, in Christ's name, amen.
1: We are continuing in our summer sermon series in Psalm 23, and in this series, if you've been with us for a few weeks, or maybe you have not. Uh, We're looking at seven of the greatest causes of an overwhelming life, and then looking at God's solution to those causes through uh, the 23rd Psalm here. Uh, In fact, next Sunday we'll conclude this series by looking at God's solution to fearing the future. But this morning, I want us to look at God's solution to your hurt. Uh, I invite you to pull out the... This bulletin insert there where you can take notes if you want to, Uh, otherwise you can just follow along on the screen behind me. But notice this, uh, there in your notes, it says, because we live in a sin-filled world, you are going to be hurt in life. I think most of us here would agree with that. You're going to be hurt in life. And you'll be hurt by many things, but the deepest hurts will often come from people. Yes, relationships are a source of great blessings, great joy in our lives, but relationships are also one of the greatest sources of hurt in our lives. The fact is people are going to hurt us, sometimes intentionally, other times unintentionally, including the people in your families, people at work, your neighbors, uh, even people here at church. And so often the problem when we're hurt in life, and specifically hurt by people, is our response to these hurts is usually the wrong thing. When we're hurt, we tend to respond uh, either by ignoring our hurt and pretending that it never happened, but ignoring your hurt never really heals it, does it? In fact, it can get worse in festers when we don't deal with our hurts in a biblical way. Or we may try just running from our hurts, avoiding our hurt. But the problem is you still have the same hurt when you return, when you wake up in the morning. It's still there, it's still nagging at you. Some people try hiding their hurt. Uh, they, they bury it, uh, they try to keep it to themselves, they camouflage it, but this only intensifies it and just makes it worse. But most people simply respond to their hurts in a lot of ways with, with resentment. Uh, but as we already learned, bitterness hurts you far more than the one who actually hurt you. Bitterness is a poison that will kill you on the inside over time. And so if none of these approaches will heal my hurt, what do I do? Where where do I turn for answers, for solutions? Well, once again, we find God's solution to our hurts right here in Psalm 23, and specifically in verse 5. Notice again what David writes here. He says, speaking about his Lord, the Lord Shepherd, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Now at first glance, this verse may seem somewhat out of place with the first four verses of the 23rd Psalm, because suddenly the analogy of a shepherd with his sheep seems to break down. I mean, no sheep ever ate at a literal table prepared for it. So what does it mean? When David writes these words, in the presence of my enemies. And what's the deal with anointing the heads of sheep with oil? Abruptly, we're we're transported from what David describes as green pastures, the still waters, the valley of darkness, and the rugged mountainside, to these terms that he uses here in verse 5, a table in the enemy's presence, where my my head is anointed with oil and my cup runs over. So what is he referring to here? What does David mean by this terminology? And how does any of this help me with my hurt? Well, I believe that these three illustrations give us three steps that we need to take in order to let the Lord as our shepherd heal our hurts. In fact, I agree with Charles Slimming, who has studied shepherds of the Middle East for years, and he insists that this verse is a picture of a shepherd with his sheep. And so let's dive into this. Let's unpack verse 5 here specifically and, and kind of discover God's solution to our hurts here by these three illustrations that David uses here. Number one is to let the Lord settle the score. But the Lord settled the score. Picture this scene with me for a moment. You're about to dine at the Hereford house at Zona Rosa. And so you give the hostess your name as after you walk in the door, and, and you're waiting in the lounge, and you're kind of, you grabbed a menu, and you're looking over the menu in anticipation of what you're going to eat, and of course, You know, like most people, it's going to be steak of some sort. And after a short while, the hostess comes up to you and tells you that your table is now ready. And so he begins to lead you through the restaurant to a table and through the dining room there. And however you get to your table, or as you're approaching it to your whore, you notice two very unwelcome guests waiting for you at your table that he's about to seat you at. The first is... This conniving work colleague who kind of wormed his way into the promotion that should have been yours. That's the first guest. But there's another guest there, and that's your neighbor from hell whose dog gets into your garbage and keeps you up at night with his barking. Nobody has those kind of neighbors, right? And you look at the table in dismay. You're, you're rather shocked by this because you didn't make a reservation for two co-workers in addition to you and your spouse. And so, you look at the table in dismay, realizing that in addition to your own place setting, there are two people that I do not consider my friends. In fact, I would kind of label them as irritations, if not enemies, of my life. This is not unlike the scene in which David describes for us here in verse 5, when he writes, "'Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies.'" Now let's be honest, I don't know many people here who actually want to dine in the presence of their enemies. We'd rather get even with our enemies than eat with them. And yet our Lord Shepherd prepares a table for us to eat in their presence. What is he talking about? What does that mean? Well, as you think about what David says here, keep in mind that the sheep as we just studied last Sunday in verse 4, are coming out of the dark valleys and now are approaching the high mountain country. And what's interesting is that these high plateaus of the sheep ranges are known as tablelands or mesas, which is the Spanish word for tables. And so when a shepherd comes to, to one of these tablelands where he can feed his sheep, he doesn't just turn the sheep loose to graze. No, he first walks throughout the field. And the reason for this is he's inspecting the ground closely. He's looking for poisonous grass and snakes. In fact, these small brown vipers live under the ground, and and they will frequently pop out of their tiny holes and bite the sheep on their noses as they graze. In fact, their bite is poisonous, and it can cause an inflammation which can sometimes kill the sheep. And so knowing this danger, the shepherd protects his sheep in two ways. When he finds the viper's hole, what he will do is take out a bottle of thick oil from his pouch. And then raking down the grass with his staff, he will pour a circle of oil at the top of each viper's hole. And as he leads the sheep into the field, he may even anoint or rub some of the oil on each of the sheep's head. And you say, well, what's the big deal about this? How does this protect the sheep? Well, when the vipers attempt to crawl out of their holes and bite the sheep, the oil keeps them from getting out. Their smooth bodies can't pass over the slippery oil, and they become prisoners inside of their holes. The oil on the sheep's head also acts as somewhat of a repellent. So if a viper does manage to get near a sheep, the smell of the oil drives the snake away. Therefore, in a very real sense, the shepherd has prepared the table, the table land. And the sheep are now able to graze in the presence of their enemies. Now you're probably thinking, well, that's great for sheep, but how is this possible for me? Well, it's possible when you let the Lord Subtle the score. Don't try to get even. Don't seek revenge. Don't retaliate against the one who has caused you pain or hurt. Instead, trust God to even the odds in dine at the table that he's prepared for you. Look what it says here in your notes, here in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. A very familiar passage of Scripture where Paul is writing, and he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, let's be honest. Today, revenge is big business. I mean, it is the mantra of our culture. But revenge doesn't work. It doesn't bring true healing to your hurt. It may bring a temporary sense of satisfaction, knowing that you got revenge back on somebody who hurt you. But in the end, it doesn't bring true healing to your soul. It keeps the hurt alive. In fact, it can even escalate the pain. And so you have got to decide, am I going to seek revenge or am I going to seek the Lord's healing? You can't do both. And so as we come here in this section of the notes, notice that there's only one way to find healing from hurt. One way and that is to accept the Lord's invitation to dine at the table of forgiveness, not revenge. You see, to eat in the presence of your enemies is only possible when you share in the feast of God's forgiveness. Forgiveness is not condoning what someone did to you to hurt you. It's not denying your hurt either. Forgiveness is releasing the one who hurt you and giving your hurt to God and letting Him settle the score with that person. As Henry Newman once said, to forgive another person is an act of liberation. As long as we do not forgive those who have wounded us, we carry them with us, or worse, we pull them as a heavy load. And so dining at the table of God's forgiveness, it liberates us and brings healing to our hurt. Now, perhaps you're sitting there and you're still not convinced. You're wondering, why? Why should I forgive somebody who has offended me, who has caused me pain, who has hurt me with something they have either said to me or have done to me? Well, let me offer you three reasons why we should forgive. First of all, God expects you to forgive just as He has forgiven you. If you've experienced God's forgiveness through the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the Lord expects you to be forgiving towards those who've hurt you. We see this in Colossians 3, verse 13, where the Apostle Paul says, "...bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another..." Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Again, you will never have to forgive someone more than what God has already forgiven you. Forgiveness is possible because you have received, you have experienced the forgiveness of God himself through Jesus Christ. And so now we have the capabilities, we have the power, also because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, to offer forgiveness to those who have hurt us. Is this easy still? No, nobody's saying it's easy. It's not. But God expects us as Christ followers, as people who have experienced the forgiveness of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, He expects us to now offer forgiveness to those who hurt us. A second reason to forgive is resentment just makes you miserable. And there are probably a few here who could testify to that firsthand. Resentment makes you miserable. It makes you bitter. And it makes you a miserable person to be around. So that alone is reason enough to dine at the table of God's forgiveness. Because not to do so is to, in a sense, live a miserable life. Because unforgiveness will eat you up. It eats away at your soul. A third reason to forgive is you are going to need forgiveness yourself in the future. I know this is true for me, and I know it's true for you. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And so unless you're perfect here, then the reality is you're not only going to be hurt, but you are going to do the hurting towards someone. I know this is true for me, ask my wife, I hurt her, I'll say something, I do something, and she's offended and she's hurt. And it's vice versa, it's true too. Why? We're, We're just, we're not perfect people. And so the reality is in life, we are hurt and we also do the hurting. And when you hurt someone, you're going to need forgiveness yourself. So you better be forgiving now because that's the measure that you will be forgiven. Now, let's just stop here for a moment and let's let's answer a question. How do you know if you're truly letting the Lord settle the score? How do you know if this is a reality in your life? Well, I would suggest that you know when you can dine at the same table with those who've hurt you when you can actually eat with them, dine with them. doesn't mean we have to be best friends. doesn't mean we always have to fellowship 24-7 or throughout the course of the week. But you can actually sit down and dine with them. You can eat with them. The provision of the Lord Shepherd is not in seeking revenge against our enemies. It's forgiving our enemies in such a way that we can now have at least fellowship together over food. We can sit and we can talk about Jesus Christ and the gospel that brings us together. And if they're an unbeliever, you can still dine with them. You can reach out to them. Abraham Lincoln once asked why he tried to make friends with his enemies. He said, Surely you should try to destroy them, the person said. And without a moment's hesitation, Lincoln gently replied, Am I not destroying my enemies when I make them my friends? Understand, this table in the presence of our enemies is no human table. It is a table prepared for us by our Lord Shepherd. And it is a table of forgiveness and healing. And the question is, will you accept the Lord's invitation? to dine at this table the second step in letting the Lord heal your hurt is to let the Lord soothe your wounds keep in mind that it is summertime and the sheep are grazing on the tablelands in the high country and it would appear The sheep are in this sublime setting where the grass is fresh and the weather is warm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that life is problem-free. Predators can still attack the sheep. Poisonous weeds can still grow. And other problems can still occur, which is why David writes here, continuing in verse 5, you anoint my head with oil. Now, shepherds put oil on sheep's heads for two reasons. The first reason, notice this, is to soothe their irritations during fly time. Fly time. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but let me tell you, every shepherd understands the terminology. Summertime is fly time due to the hordes of insects that emerge with the advent of the warm weather, which can cause serious problems for sheep. And the worst of these insects are flies. Their attack on sheep can easily turn the golden summer months into this time of torture for sheep and even drive them into a frenzy. And sheep are especially troubled by what is called the nose fly. That alone just kind of gives you the weebie-jeebies. These little flies buzz around the sheep's head, attempting to lay their eggs in the sheep's nose. And after the eggs hatch, the larvae will work their way up into the sheep's nasal passage and burrow into the flesh. And as you might imagine, causes intense irritation accompanied by severe inflammation. And in order to find relief from this agonizing, annoyance, sheep will oftentimes beat their heads against trees, rocks, or brush. And even in extreme cases of intense infestation, a sheep may even kill itself in an endeavor to gain relief from the irritation of these nose flies because of all of this when the nose flies hover around sheep some of the sheep will become very frantic with fear and they will panic will set in in their attempt to escape their torments now isn't it amazing how the little things in life like a fly can really irritate you. Anybody get irritated over the little things in life? Oh, sure, we all do. I know I'm not the only one. In fact, uh, I'll just share one of my little irritations. Um, and I'm sure, you know, like most of you, in my living room, there, you have a TV and uh, we have furniture there and there's the designated seat for me, right? Bill, you have a designated seat. Uh, There's my seat, and uh, in my seat, where I sit most of the time to watch a sporting event like the Royals, whatever, KU basketball game, uh, I I have a towel that stays in my seat. And the reason for that towel is because oftentimes I make popcorn, and, and I'll eat popcorn watching KU basketball game, and I want something to put over my lap, wipe my hands on, and that towel just stays there. One of my sons, though, whenever he sits in my seat, he always throws my towel out of my chair. And he throws it back behind the seat and it's the biggest irritation because when I go to sit down I'm like where's my towel it's gone it's not there it's a small little thing isn't it some of you are thinking wow Bruce you, you are really weird you get upset over that I know I know it's a little irritation I have to call out this one son and say listen where is my towel come put my towel back if you can't sit in my seat without leaving the towel there then don't sit in my seat I know your pastor's weird. He's got a little irritation. <laughs> I mean, how many do you, do you have? Any people in your life that are like flies that irritate you? Maybe it's not a thing, but it's a person that irritates you. I remember my first year in college at BBC down in Springfield, and uh, I had no idea who was going to be my roommate. I didn't have a clue. I'm going down there, and I know basically one person, and that's Terry Dunn, who was then Terry Altman. And her and I graduate at the same time. We went to high school together, and we now go to college together. And that's the only person I know. And so I'm introduced to my roommate. I'm like, hey. In fact, his dad and my dad knew each other. So I'm thinking, "Okay, you know, our dads know each other. We'll be roommates. Oh, it wasn't after five days, three days, really two days, I find out, oh my gosh, this is a bad deal. He was the most irritating roommate in the whole world. I mean, he was the antithesis of my personality and me in general. I went to bed early; he stayed up late. I was a neat freak; he was a slob. I mean, and it—God must have trying to teach me some lessons of dealing with him that are now life lessons for now today. Uh, But to counter the irritations of fly time, the shepherd what he will do is mix oil and sulfur and tar, which kind of acts like an insect repellent, as we already said. And he rubs it over the sheep's nose and head as a protection against the nose flies. And once the soothing oil is applied, the sheep are refreshed, and they're able to once again graze peacefully. Now, I don't know about you, but this is what I need in my life when dealing with the flies in my life. Those things that irritate me, or the people that irritate me, I need the Lord to anoint my head with the oil of His Spirit so I will respond with grace toward the ever present irritations of people. And let's be honest most of the irritations that we deal with are caused by the people closest to us, such as our spouse, our kids, our coworkers people at church, and that's why we need to let God's spirit rule in our hearts every day. But there's another reason why shepherds put oil on sheep's head. Notice this, reason number two, and that is to soothe their wounds during scab time. So you got fly time, you're getting a lesson here on, on, you know, shepherding in sheep here. Uh, Fly time, but also during scab time. Now scab is an irritating and very highly contagious disease common among sheep the world over. A scab is caused by these microscopic parasites that proliferate in warm weather. Scab is most commonly found around the sheep's head and it spreads by direct contact throughout a flock. And the only effective antidote is to apply oil and sulfur and other chemicals that can control the disease. Sometimes the scab will result in open wounds, but as the shepherd applies the oil, it soothes the sheep's wounds and it protects against further inflammation. And in the same way, this is what the Lord wants to do with our hurts and wounds in life. He wants to soothe our wounds. He wants to heal our hurts. In fact, I love what it says here in Psalm 147, verse 3, where it talks about the Lord. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So not only will the Lord settle the score with those who have hurt us, but if we'll let him, he will also soothe our wounds. If we'll just have God, our hurts. He will bandage our wounds. He will heal our hurts. Most of you, I'm sure, have had the experience where you've cut yourself, perhaps on your hand accidentally. Uh, Some of you have even had a surgery where the surgeon cut you open. And after you healed and recovered, what was still left? A scar. You got it. I still have a four-inch scar across my knee from where I had knee surgery in my 20s. Moms, if you've had a C-section, then you probably still have a scar. Thankfully, scars from surgeries today are much, much smaller than what they used to be in the past. But here's the point. Notice this in your notes. Every wound, whether it's relational, emotional, or even physical, leaves a scar. And with every scar comes a choice. And here's the choice. When you see the scar, you can either remember your hurt... Or you can remember your healer. And when you see the scar from where you've been hurt by someone in life, I want to challenge you to remember God's grace and not the hurt. When you see the scar from that failure or from that sin or that hurt that someone caused you, let me encourage you to think of yourself, man, I am a trophy of God's grace and restoration and renewal. Don't focus on the hurt. That only perpetuates the pain all over again. Instead, focus on the Lord as your healer. Give thanks for God's grace working in your life and healing your hurt. But oftentimes, after we've been hurt by others and even healed by God, we can still feel like we are drained emotionally and spiritually and even physically. We can feel like, man, I just need renewal. I need replenished. And that's where we come to the last step in letting the Lord heal your hurts. Notice this number three. Let the Lord satisfy your needs. David writes at the end of verse 5, My cup runs over. Now in the Bible, an overflowing cup is a symbol for total satisfaction. It means I've got everything I need. And that may sound easy enough for David to say. After all, David reigned as a powerful king in Israel. But remember, David knew hard times also. He experienced the pain that comes from being hurt by other people. David was even hurt by His sons, two sons in particular, when they turned against him and they tried to take over his throne. And so David knew the pain of betrayal by family members, his own sons. One of David's trusted advisors even betrayed him and his army chief deserted him. In fact, at one point in his life, David lived as public enemy number one for for years. And yet, in spite of all the hurts from his, quote, enemies, David insisted that he drank from an overflowing cup when he writes, My cup runs over. And understand, David, David wasn't talking about someone spilling water in his lap. It's not a literal cup. He's talking about how a considerate shepherd provided cool, refreshing water for his sheep. When there were no streams to be found, shepherds in the Middle East would satisfy their sheep's thirsty needs with a well. Many of these wells were very, very deep, much as 100 feet down to the the water. And so to draw the water, the shepherd used a long rope with a, uh, a leather bucket, if you will, at the end of the rope. And since the bucket had less, most of the time, less than a gallon, uh, it had to be drawn by hand and poured into large stone cups beside the well. And so the process was long. It was laborious. It was tiring work. And if a shepherd had, let's say, 50 sheep, he might have to draw water for two hours or more to allow the sheep to drink all the water that they needed. But here's the really cool part. Sheep don't like to get wet. And so it was a mark of a shepherd's kindness, a mark of a good shepherd to keep the stone cups filled to overflowing so the sheep could drink with ease and satisfy their thirst without having to work for it, in other words. Now that's a phenomenal picture for us. What the Lord, as our shepherd, wants to do for us as his sheep. Listen, God is our shepherd. He gives us everything we need and more. My cup runs over, David writes. And so when you're feeling drained and empty from being hurt or wounded in life, you need to let the Lord meet your needs instead of what happens is so often we try to meet our own needs in our own ways. You say, well, why is this so important? Because One of the reasons we get hurt is we expect other people sometimes to meet needs only God can meet. No person can give you an absolute security in life. No person can give you all the love that you need. No person can give you complete satisfaction and joy. Not your spouse, not your kids, or any other person. And if you expect that from somebody, you're going to be bitterly disappointed, and you're going to be hurt because of misplaced expectations here. Listen, you and I, we have needs that only God himself can meet as our shepherd. And when you expect other people to meet those needs, you're going to be resentful because they can't do it. And this happens all the time in marriages. Listen, your spouse can't love you Unconditionally. They can't make you secure and happy 24-7. They can't meet all your needs because they're not God. They're not your Lord's shepherd. And so we go through life. And we're either living empty or we're living overflowing, depending on who we're going to to meet our needs. Now notice this here in your notes. Understand, Satan wants you to live your life with an empty cup He wants you to live life drained (laughs) with an empty cup, but Jesus wants to fill your cup to overflowing. Look what Jesus says here in John 10, verses 10 through 11. He says the thief, and this is is in reference to Satan himself, the devil. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's Satan's purpose for your life, right there. You You want a summary statement of the devil's purpose and plan for your life, there it is in John 10:10. 10, 10. That he wants to steal your joy, he wants to kill, kill you and destroy whatever you have from the Lord. I have but Jesus says, "I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd." The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Satan wants you to live a defeated life. He wants you to fo- you to focus on your hurt. He wants you to seek revenge and he wants you to go through expecting other people to meet needs only God can meet. But God wants to meet all of your needs. He wants to be your shepherd and fill your cup to overflow. And you say, well, what will he fill it with? Let me just highlight three real quickly here. My cup will overflow with hope. God will give you hope. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. My cup will overflow not only with hope but with love. First Thessalonians 3.12 it says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. And then lastly, my cup will overflow with joy. Jesus, in talking to His disciples there, here in John 16, 24, He tells them, Until now you have not asked for anything in My name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Listen, who here doesn't need their cup filled with hope and love and joy? We all do. And have you noticed that this world in which we live, and the people that we deal with, And even love can suck you dry of your hope and your love and joy. But the Lord wants to fill your cup. And He wants to fill it not just half full, but to overflowing. And so if you're here this morning and you're hurting because somebody has hurt you, then please know that the Lord's Shepherd invites you to a banquet that can change your life. The Lord is telling us Through David here, in Psalm 23, verse 5, he's saying, I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I will anoint your head with oil, and I'll fill your cup to overflowing, if you will accept the Lord's invitation. Listen, he will settle the score, he will soothe your wounds, and he will satisfy your needs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. Oh, how we thank You for the truth of Your Word here in Psalm 23. And we thank You that You don't leave us, You don't forsake us in the midst of our hurts. But Father, You are a faithful shepherd who wants to bring healing to our lives. And so help us to turn to You. In the grace that we find in your Son, Jesus Christ. For you are the one who prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You are the one who anoints my head with oil. And it's because of you that I can say, my cup runs over. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.